From our local high schools to the pros, the Dallas Morning News has got North Texas sports covered, and it's more than just the scores. From all the off-season moves to in-season adjustments and maybe even postseason glory, the DMN has got the inside scoop on your favorite teams, players, and coaches. You can follow every goal, save, bucket, and touchdown as the Dallas Morning News delivers real local sports journalism from the press box and locker room straight to your inbox. As soon as the podcast is over, head to dallasnews.com sports to see what Brad Townsend, Callie Kaplan, and the rest of the DMN gang has for you there. Hello and welcome to Mavs Daily, where every day we're breaking down a question, event, news, or trend. And today, my name is Bobby Crowell, I'm from Mavs Digital, and today we have... A little history lesson. So tonight, the Mavs are playing the Wolves at American Airlines Center. Good stuff, good stuff. It's a bunch of young guys. And like half of the players that are going to be playing in this game were barely even alive whenever the playoff series that we're talking about today happened. We're taking a trip back in time, all the way back to 2002. And joining me on this journey is the great Mike Frailer. Mike, how's it going, man? Good, Bobby. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this series. It's definitely uh, one of my favorites as a as a longtime Mavs fan. It was it was pretty fun. It was the first round of the 2002 playoffs between the Mavs and the Minnesota Timberwolves. No spoilers, but the Mavs ended up winning 3-0, and it was a it's a pretty iconic Dirk series. Uh, pretty iconic early 2000s Mavs offensive basketball, like breaking the game. Don Nelson genius series uh it's really really good stuff and you know we're going to get into a little bit of what happened with the wolves too kevin garnett and all the dirt kg thing um this is a pretty historically significant series even though at the time it might not have felt like it i don't know but we're going to try and figure it out and uh take a little trip back through time so to set the scene a little bit i want to kind of get to know some of the characters involved but just at a very baseline level uh, this 2001-02 Mavs team was very good. So Mike and I talked earlier this, I guess last year, about the uh, the 2001 Mavs Jazz series that went to five games. Calvin Booth hit that iconic shot, of course, to send the Mavs on to the next round, and then they got they got beat by the Spurs. But this 2002 Mavs team was kind of it was the first year they went to the playoffs with expectations, and so they were the fourth seed. Uh, in the West. They were behind the Spurs, they were behind the Kings, they were behind the Lakers, but the Mavs won 57 games that year, and so they took a huge step forward. Big offensive team. Uh, Dirk made an all-star team, I believe. It was, it was his first all-star game. I think Steve Nash also made the all-star team, too. Mike, correct me if I'm wrong on that. Yeah, but he, they both did, yeah. Yeah, and they were they were like the the new, they were like the next team. You know, the Lakers' time was sort of, we didn't know it at the time, but it was sort of coming to an end. The Spurs had won in 1999, they hadn't been back since, and so you had this young up-and-coming Mavs team with these exciting young guys entering their prime together, first year in American Airlines Center, first year with the new logo, uh, just kind of, there was just a huge sort of feeling of excitement around this team, very similar to what this season's Mavs team is going through, although, you know, they, they haven't delivered in the win column yet, but they had been to the playoffs once, everybody knew that they were young and good, and now it was their chance to prove it. And to do it, they were going to have to go up against one of the toughest-minded players in the NBA and really one of the single greatest players of, like, the 90s in through the 2000s up really until uh, the 2010s, Kevin Garnett. And so before we talk about the Mavs, Mike, I want to I wanna hear a little bit about Kevin Garnett because there's a really good chance a lot of people listening to this podcast have no memory of KG's career with the Wolves and might not even remember his career with the Celtics because – 
you and I are that old. And so to <laughs> someone who's like 20 or 25 years old and maybe doesn't remember who Kevin Garnett was, particularly in his prime, what kind of player are we talking about whenever we're talking about KG? Oh, gosh. Yeah, Garnett was so much fun to watch. Um, he was a 95 draft pick straight out of high school. And so still really young. So in 2002, he was probably like 24-ish, 25. So still really young, very dynamic, long, skinny as hell. Um, but he could run like a gazelle. He could jump out of the gym. He was just <clears> – <throat> his trash talk is legendary. He um, Prior to the 2002 um, – prior to this series that we're talking about, he had a few really exciting years with Stefan Marbury, who was another exciting young point guard. So they were like – um, just this up-and-coming young duo, and he was just a legitimate MVP candidate around this time. If not this season, then definitely the next season, he was uh, a really uh, an, M- an MVP candidate before actually winning it in 2004. But you know, he he could do a little bit of everything. Um, he had, he was automatic mid-range jumper. He was uh, electric on defense and great rebounder. Just very passionate player. Um, I think anyone that's followed the NBA as long as we have just, we know about his, some of his legendary trash talk. So he was just so much fun to watch. And, uh, you know, heading into, into this series, you know, you, you kind of feared Garnett, I would say, or I definitely did at the time. Yeah. He's an intimidating player, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Just his physical presence. Not only is he gonna, I mean, he was tremendously skilled. Like if, if K, if KG came along today, his range would have been extended out to the three point line, but Back in those days, he had that face-up game and the high post game from 15, 18, 20 feet. He could really score from anywhere. But also, he was getting you 11, 12, 13, 14 rebounds a game, mm-hmm. put-back dunks, you know, really a ferociously intense player. And uh, kind of the the total sort of dichotomy, right, with Dirk, who, uh, you know, the opposite end of the spectrum. At the, at the time, Euros were still you know, this kind of stigma against them that they're soft or that they're, they're not tough, they're not really intense, uh, much more finesse-style game, whereas KG had the finesse-style elements to his game but mixed in, like, the smash-mouth approach to defense um, and, of course, like you said, with the trash talk and, and, and just yeah. with the, the general intensity that was a sort of perfect counterpoint to Dirk's kind of just pure stretch for running the floor, having fun, um, you know, not really, uh, not the most intense guy, at least yet. Now he obviously earned that reputation later on, but at the time this wasn't really the case. And so you have this collision course of the two other power forwards, right? The two non Tim Duncan power forwards and, uh, and who would prevail, but the Mavs beefed up their roster a little bit going into this series too. And so we're talking about expectations and everything. Um, they discovered during the Oh one Oh two season, like, we got a legitimate big three, you know, like Dirk and Nash are ready to be like the, the they're on par with Finley, right? The 2001 Mavs team, not quite there yet. You know, Dirk, Dirk and Nash were still a little younger, still a little more inexperienced, but they, they proved themselves in that season in the playoffs. And then going into 01-02, it became clear like, oh my God, like these guys, they're going to win MVP someday. And so Dallas kind of reshuffled the roster uh, to, to sort of highlight their strengths and in in the middle of the season at the trade deadline they made a huge trade with the Nuggets sending away Jawan Howard who was kind of this power forward uh very similar KG style like mid post high post game uh and could do stuff on the low block too but trading him away trading size away 
for Nick Van Exel and for Rafe LaFrance, who was a center, but a true stretch five, like shooting mm-hmm. four, five threes per game, um, opening up the floor and just creating maximum space for the Dirk Nash pick and roll. And that kind of like totally changed the complexion of the team, but also the attitude of the team too, as we would learn the next year when Nick Van Exel is just like the king of swag, which made a huge impact on Dirk. But just from a tactical standpoint, that trade really sort of signaled like we're all in on this just spread pick and roll with Nash and Dirk, and we're going to see where this takes us. Oh, yeah. Um, That trade... um was I mean I was really excited about that trade because I had um, been watching Van Exel when he was with the Lakers and obviously he was really exciting there but then they were on like NBA on NBC a lot during some of his Laker years but then he went to Denver for a few years and they weren't on TV that often but you saw him putting up huge numbers like you read box scores but you never really got to see him play on TV for if, if you were living in Dallas so I was really excited to get um Van Exel, and then uh, obviously LaFrance, too, a stretch five. Um, pretty solid outside shooter, but also at that time, I think he was like top three in the league in block shots per game, so I was, I was really excited about that as well. Mm-hmm. And it was just a, it, it kind of just, yeah, it just changed the whole – because in 2001, I mean, Dirk was playing small forward. Like they were starting Jawan Howard and they were starting Sean Bradley and, you know, Calvin Booth coming off the bench. Dirk was playing a lot of three. But after mm-hmm. this trade, he was basically playing power forward full time. I mean, they their starting lineup, to kind of to that point in the in the series against Minnesota, was Nash and Finley in the backcourt, and then Eddie Nahara, Dirk, and Rafe LaFrance up front. And so suddenly, Dirk is like now the tallest guy uh, in the starting lineup. And so it just really kind of changed things. But uh, so there's not a lot of footage <laughs> left around <laughs> from this series. It was, it was 20 years ago we're talking about. So there's some grainy stuff on YouTube, uh, but but how do you want to do this, Mike? Do you want to go like kind of game by game, or do you want to go overall thoughts? I mean, wh- what do you think the best way to talk about this is? Um, I definitely think games one and games three stick out to me. So I think we could talk a little bit more about those. I don't have that many specific memories from game two, other than um, uh, an incredible Finley dunk and and. Honestly, that was about it. I remember the dunk and not much else, but I think games one pretty and epic dunk. Pretty I'd forgotten all about that play until I watched it this morning. To be yeah. totally honest, but that was, it was it was on it was on Rosho right in transition yes. and put him yeah, up like thirteen, yeah. and it was disgusting. Yeah, it was it was great. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely remember games one and games three. So yeah, we could absolutely talk about those. Okay, so game one, it's in Dallas again. You know, the Mavs are the number four seed, but so they have home court, and uh, one game one of the playoff that, series. Uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it was the first time the Mavs hosted a playoff series since 1988. Oh yeah, I guess because they were they were the they would have been the underdogs in uh, in 01. The, the five seed in 2001. Yeah, yeah. So um, and of course, this is their first playoff series at American Airlines Center too. Yes. Uh, 3 p.m. tip, which is kind of weird, but uh, <laughs> so it's and 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 even today, like game one of a playoff series, you're kind of feeling each other out, and so it's sort of like let's see you know, let's see what they got. Let's see what we got. But this is a best of five series, you know? So if you lose game one, like nowadays, if you lose game one, it's all good. You got four, you know, you get six more chances basically to win four games back then. If you lose game one, like you're, you're kind of, your back is already up against the wall. And so it's very important to sort of impose your will on the opponent. And the wolves kind of did that. They got off to a nine, two lead. They were leading by nine after the first quarter in that game. And it's like, Okay, you know, I mean, can we can we sort of muster the uh, 
the the firepower to keep up with these guys because you know they were a very good defensive team. Minnesota was, but they had Chauncey Billups, they had Wally Zerbiak. Uh, you know, of course, Rasha Nasterovich, Nasterovich a, a, a nice offensive center, and then KG too. So they could defend, but they could also really score. And uh, the Mavs were like the number one offense in the league that year by far. But you know, it's always different to score in the playoffs, and so. You know, they, they, they kind of had to figure out, like, how are we, we going to match up with this team? And eventually it worked. I mean, Dirk was just amazing in that game. And 30 and 15, which I, I want you to share the stat now because it's pretty awesome. 30 and 15 was kind of like the norm for him at the time. Yeah, yeah, it really was. So if we go back to the previous spring, the final game of that Spurs series in 2001, uh, Dirk had 42. And I, I don't remember how many rebounds he had, but it was over 15 because – including that game and all three games of this Minnesota series, Dirk had four straight games of 30 and 15, and he was the first player to do that since Kareem in 1977. Um, first player just, to do it since Kareem. Yeah. So it was 20, in 1977, that's 25 years, years dude. Yeah. <laughs> Has, yeah. Okay. I, I don't know if you've, if, I, I mean, I guess I could check this live, but like, has anyone done that since? That I don't know. Um, that would be good to check. Because, I mean, 15 rebounds is a lot. Like, 30 points, okay. Yeah. You're going to get that, but, like, 15? I mean, if, if, like, if someone like Shaq didn't do it, I have a hard time believing that anyone else would have done it since then. Yeah. Yeah, and and Duncan was incredible, but I, I don't know if he really ever had, like, four straight 30-point games. He was certainly capable of it, but uh, mm. I don't – yeah. So, I, I don't know of anyone else that has done that, but it, I wouldn't be surprised if someone has, I guess. Hmm. But Dallas is ultimately able to turn it around in the second half, and uh, they end up winning by seven. But here's like some some weird stats from that game. Minnesota had 20 offensive rebounds, and uh, K- KG was six for 18, and they turned it over 17 times. But 20 offensive rebounds, making it tough on the Mavs, holding them to 101, which was it's very low today. But for them, it was even low at the time. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're wondering like, is this going to be? like a long drawn out bloodbath kind of series because you know they kind of they they held the Mavs in check pretty well in game one and imposed their will physically it's like the 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 Wolves at the time they were starting Sam Mitchell big time defender future coach of course it was funny to see him playing but then they brought like they brought beef off the bench too like Gary Trent big guy you know they had Joe Smith another big guy like they had some bruisers that could really make things kind of difficult for you especially on the boards and around the basket which this is 2002 that was still very important to the game at the, at the time oh yeah no it, it definitely was and um you know speaking of their team obviously um they had kg and zerviak who was an all-star that year um and i was familiar with uh with chauncey billups at the time but uh you know i'd spent some time in boston and toronto and, and denver i think and he was kind of a journeyman at that time and this was the this 2002 Billups was the year before he went and kind of became a mainstay in Detroit for several years. Um, but, you know, I think this was the first time that it kind of hit me that Chauncey Billups is good. I mean, he had 25 in game one. So, and you know, like you said earlier, they jumped out to that big lead. Um, and uh, well, I guess nine, 10 points, however much it was, but a pretty solidly, especially early. So, you know, I, I definitely thought the, uh, the Timberwolves would uh, going to be a force to be reckoned with. And uh, yeah, that, that's really what I remember from game one was uh, obviously their big lead. And then, and then Billups, Billups strong start to the series. He had 25, like I said, so that was, that was pretty impressive. Hmm. 
Uh, so game two, like you said, there, there's really not much left. There's just kind of like a six and a half minute super grainy video on YouTube. But yeah. a couple funny things from that game uh, that, I, that I wanted to talk about. So uh, first off, game one was announced by Mike Breen, by the way. And like I had no idea that he was calling games 20 years ago nationally. Like that guy's been a, a huge part of my life and I, I didn't even realize it. Um, but game two. I'm pretty sure that Jimmy Goldstein was at that game, and it was either Jimmy Goldstein or a guy wearing a Jimmy Goldstein-style hat who was a big Wolves fan because the Mavs were making this huge run in the second half, and it cut to the crowd, sort of like panel on the front row, and there's just some guy standing there very stoically just like watching the game standing in the front row with a huge hat, and I was like, dude, Jimmy Goldstein, that's awesome, um, and then later on, this might have been in the fourth quarter, uh, Dirk hit a three. And Matt Pinto just was losing his mind. It was like, the Mavs have hit 10 threes tonight. And I just thought that was very <laughs> funny because he was like shocked. Like, oh my God, 10 threes. This is unbelievable. And now if they hit 10, it's like, dude, what is wrong with them? Yeah, no, that, that is funny. Um, yeah, another thing I remember about about game two is, uh, and I've seen footage of this on, on, on YouTube, um, Nash... I don't know if he got the rebound or what, but he was pushing the ball in transition and just drove to the hole and did like this like crazy jump stop, got hammered by Gary Trent, threw it up left-handed, couldn't see the basket, and then went like pretty high in the air and came straight down through the net, and the crowd went nuts. So that that was just a pretty cool play, um, something that, that sticks out in my mind uh, from from that game. Um, the Is he not like the most fun player ever to watch? Steve Nash, like oh, watching yeah. his highlights is just, it makes me, and it, it, it puts me in a good mood all the time. Oh yeah. It's just such like a nostalgic feeling for me watching, watching him play. Uh, and you know, like you, like you said earlier, it was the first year in American Airlines center. So it was just a whole new environment and uh, watching the highlights from that series. Uh, the crowd was just so into it. And, you know, the, the Finley dunk, like we mentioned, and then this, this crazy Nash layup, like the crowd just went nuts and it just, it made me miss, uh, you know, just, being in the stadium or just even watching on TV with the crowd because the way it is now, it's it's great to be able to watch it, but it's definitely different. It's a little uh, depressing, and I can't wait till we can have fans back in the American Airlines Center. Yeah, definitely. So game two goes to Dallas, one twenty-two to one ten, behind a, a pretty convincing Mavs run in the second half. But you go to game three, and again, this is a this is a best of five series, and so you're up two zero. Like the series can be so short if you just start hot, you can just ride that sort of freight train of momentum through and you win a series 3-0 before the other team can even can even counterpunch really and Dallas gets off to this massive start smelling blood in game three going up 40 to 28 much of it fueled by Dirk who ended the game with 39 points uh, Michael Finley played all 48 minutes of the game he scored 30 and then Steve Nash played 40 minutes and he had 25 so the Mavs big three combined for 94 points in that game almost enough to outscore the Wolves Altogether, Dallas wins 115 to 102 in one of the most clinical Dirk performances ever. <laughs> Not only in terms of just like precision, making shots, he was 11 of 17 from the field, 14 of 16 from the free throw line, but also like I cannot imagine what the rest of the world was thinking watching Dirk playing that game because he's getting rebounds, taking it coast to coast, driving the lane, laying it in, going up for dunks, pulling up for threes. He had this one play in the second half where it's kind of like this broken play in the corner. Uh, he starts driving, almost like loses his handle, recovers it, does like a full 360, 
<laughs> dribbling back to the three-point line like this this spin around step back three right in front of the bull the wolves bench and just buries it and it's just like oh my god this guy is an alien and um <laughs> yes. and that was it i mean he he had 39 points on 17 shots oh, and yeah. they they just destroyed the wolves and and it was a sweep i mean it was just an utterly dominant performance from dirk oh yeah it really was and i think it's his shooting performance in this game is right up there with um game one versus the thunder in 2011 like it's just to me it's like um another iconic um dirt game he, he cooled off a little bit towards the end but his start was incredible um at some point towards the the latter end of the first half he was seven for seven from the field and nine for nine from the line and um, a couple things I remember, well, I don't, I'd have to go back and find the exact footage of it, but there was one shot he made. Um, I want to say it was like a mid-range shot, but he had a couple defenders draped all over him and, and he just nailed it. And Bob Costas said like, are you kidding me when that went in? I remember that. <laughs> and um, even how he started the game, like you said, he, he could smell blood. Like first play of the game, he drove and did like, it's probably like one of the only times I've ever seen him kind of take like a running hook shot or something, but he, he I haven't really seen too many Dirk shots like that. And then the very next play, he got another rebound, drove all the way, and just got fouled and went to the line made too. But he went right to the basket two times. So if, if there's any young listeners and want to see what young Dirk was like, I would look up this ser- this game. and it, I mean, really this series, but this game, he was just – he was incredible to watch. And it was, it was so much fun. And he was 23, 24 at the time. So it was just such an exciting time to be a Mass fan. Hmm. And kind of like – you know, retrospectively, it's always fun to look back and say, like, uh, Dirk was 3-0 against KG in the playoffs. But, I mean, to Don Nelson's credit, like, the Mavs were constantly finding ways to get anybody else to guard Dirk. You know, like, let's find a way to get Dirk going at Rosho. Let's find a way to get Dirk, you know, spotted up on the perimeter. We get Nash driving, the defense sucks in, he kicks it out to Dirk for an open three. And, and that Dallas team was so difficult to match up with because – like Dirk and Rafe are your four and five and they like shooting threes. And so Dallas was like running pick and rolls with Steve Nash and Eddie Nahra. So like if either of your big men sink down, one of them is going to be open. And it just like, it creates so much chaos on the floor to where like looking back now, it's like, yeah, this is pretty normal. You know, like they're just running some cool pick and rolls. But back then it was like, oh my God, what are we supposed to do? This is like no <laughs> other team had ever been playing like this before. And so it just had to be like almost like horrifying for the rest of the league to be like, how, how are we supposed to stop these guys? Oh, yeah, definitely. One thing um, about just the 2002 playoffs. So whenever the playoffs or the Mavs were eliminated, um, I guess in May after that, that Sacramento series, after this one, um, the, the, the Slam magazine in either May or, or June of that year had Dirk on the cover and the, the caption on it was Super Freak. And I'm, I'm just guessing that that had to be based off his performance in this series. Because, I mean, he was he was pretty good in the Sacramento series, but he was just legendary in this one. So it was like when you said the people were probably thinking of him as an alien. I mean, I think it was his – this series was probably like his coming out party for for people that weren't that weren't Mavs fans or maybe, you know, didn't pay too much attention in 2001, but really started to notice them in 2002, especially once uh, he and Nash made the All-Star game and, and all that too. Mm, yeah, so to to run through the series stats, just for just for the big three, just for Dirk <laughs> Finley and Nash. Yeah. Uh Nash in three games, of course, averaged twenty-one points, nine assists, four rebounds, uh shot thirty-eight percent from the field somehow, but forty-four percent from three, uh, and made all seventeen of his free throws, light work. Finley, 
averaged 46 minutes per game, <laughs> uh, averaged 24.7 points, 6.7 boards, uh, two steals, uh, 50 from the field, 50 from three, 93% from the free throw line. Again, pretty nice. Uh, and then Dirk, in 43 and a half minutes, averaged 33.3 points, 15.7 rebounds, three steals, 1.3 blocks, 52% from the field, 72% on threes, and 89% from the free throw line. The entire series, he was he was 30 of 57 from the field, so he missed 27 shots and four free throws. Uh, so not bad. Uh, his true shooting percentage for the series was 68%. So I, I would say that was one of the most – I mean, one of the most dominant performances ever. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, you, you heard me laughing there. It just – it doesn't seem like it, – it was just, like, alien-like or something. It would be – I don't even know what you could compare it to today. The way he was playing was like if uh, – if Giannis could shoot threes, I would compare it to something like that. Like it was just, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking up right now. Give me, give me like, uh, give me 20 seconds of, of waiting music because I'm, I'm looking up your streak, <laughs> your 30 and 15 streak. Okay. All right. So here it is. The longest streaks in NBA history in the playoffs of guys getting 30 points and 15 rebounds. Wilt Chamberlain and Elgin Baylor each did it five times. Um, Bob Pettit did it four times in 1957. Kareem did it four times in 1970. Wilt did it four times. Kareem did it four times. Dirk Nowitzki did it four times in 2001 and 2002. And then Tim Duncan did it four times in 2003 as the Spurs won the championship. Those are the only guys ever. So four straight playoff games with at least 30 points and 15 rebounds. It's Wilt. Elgin, Bob Pettit, Kareem, Duncan, and Dirk. And that is it. No one has done it since then. No one. That's his. The closest, oh my God. The closest anyone has come since then is Dwight Howard, who did it twice in 2011. Wow. Uh, Amari did it twice in 2005. Dirk did it in 2003. And uh, that's it. No one else since then has done it at least two times in a row. I wouldn't have guessed that. Um, that's makes it even <clears throat> makes it even cooler to me that it's that um, that Dirk did, especially at that time, and uh, with those other names that you mentioned. Um, it makes sense that Duncan got there. I, I think I forgot how incredible he was in that 2003 postseason. Um, but I also don't think of him as a guy that got a lot of 30 point games. But he certainly was capable of doing that. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that uh, some of those games might have come against the Mavs. Yeah, that's possible. We don't need to to talk too much about that one. Uh, That one didn't happen. That one didn't happen. But, yeah, I mean, that just kind of, like, holy cow. And, and again, you know, Dirk was 23 years old whenever this series was played. So, like, this was his arrival. You know, like, they swept the series, of course, against KG. So, like, the symbolic, like, not only winning but beating kind of your your top competitor – one of your top competitors at your position was a big deal, but in in many ways it was kind of similar to what Luca did against the Clippers last year, where you know he's putting up just like monstrous stat lines, and Luca had the signature moment with the game winning shot and everything. But if you do it against like top dogs, you know you have alpha level performances against the best, then that's really what kind of puts you on the map, and and that that like sort of set the Mavs rocket ship in motion. Next year they go to the conference finals. 
And, uh, you know, a couple years after that, they go to the finals and then they win 67. And of course it didn't work out in those years, but mm-hmm. like they were on an upward trajectory for five or six years in a row. And, you know, beating Utah was kind of like fun. haha, That was cool. Like Cinderella story. But this was really the moment whenever they announced like to the world, like, yeah, we're here. And this dirt guy is going to be like a hall of famer. Oh yeah, no, it, it absolutely was. And it was such a great way just to like usher in a, a new era of, of, uh, of Mavs basketball. Cause I mean, they're more or less still in those uniforms today, like uh, in terms of their primary uniforms, uh, first year at the American airlines center. So it was just like a, a arrival and to do it, um, sweeping a team with, you know, the, one of the faces of the NBA at the time, Kevin Garnett, three times on national television that was, or beating them three straight times on national television. That was, that was really cool. When was, okay. Let's let's test your uh, let's test your Mavs knowledge here. How many times have they swept an opponent in the playoffs since then, Mike? Oh, let's see. So in six, we swept swept the Grizzlies. Yeah, and that was a four zero. They that was a it, it became best of seven by then. And then going through uh, eleven, swept the Lakers four zero. Yep. That it? That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. So yeah. those are the three Dirk sweeps. Pretty like it's it is insane just saying this out loud. Like he swept Kevin Garnett, he swept Pau Gasol twice, he swept Kobe. Like yeah. he and Kobe don't play the same position, obviously, but like Pau Gasol does, and he swept him twice. Like, you know, and now Dirk's win loss against Duncan wasn't quite as lopsided. In fact, I think in games Dirk played he was like 15 and 18, I think, against Duncan in the playoffs, which is not bad. I mean, considering no. the Spurs won like a, a zillion championships. But, I mean, you go up against your like top players at your position and, and you have that kind of success against them. Like that really speaks volumes about your uh, your your greatness as a player. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And now it just uh, makes me miss Dirk more than usual. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He was, yeah, that was uh, – he was – Fantastic. And yeah, I guess, yeah, and the only times he ever met Pau, he swept him. So like he never even lost a playoff game to Pau Gasol, which is pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure in the regular season I had a significantly winning record against him too, which only adds to it. But uh, last question for you. We did an episode, you and I did, this is a long time ago, like a year ago almost. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Time, time flies. But we, we did like our, our favorite Dirk season. And if I'm not mistaken, I think this one might've been one of yours. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. Uh, it might, was it your number one or was it your number two? I think it was my number one. And yeah, I think we had think the same number two, which we both said, uh, Oh nine and 10. Cause he was yeah. a monster that yeah. year. But yeah, this was my, um, this is, I think, yeah. Like my favorite, my favorite dark season mm. just in terms of like, like fun. Like that's probably it for me. It's, so you kind of compared him to Giannis a little bit and they're like a little different. Giannis is a little more around the basket, but if you plucked 2002 Dirk out of that world and just dropped him into the 2021 NBA, oh, yeah. and I don't want to be like the old guy that's like, they don't play defense anymore. Like, the game is just different now. Yeah. If you put that Dirk on the floor now, what would he What would he be? Would he be a pick-and-roll guy, or would he, would he handle the ball? Like, what, what, would, what would 2002 Dirk look like on the 2021 maps? I think he would handle the ball. Um, 
I mean, if you watch the uh, the clips from this series, I mean, he he like if if he got the ball and there was like room for him to operate, like he was bringing the ball up the court a few times and taking it straight to the basket. I mean, he was just unstoppable. So, um, and especially like I, with the just more fouls called now, like I just think he would just completely dominate today's game. He took like twenty three year old Dirk and planted him in in today's league. Would he? Would he score like thirty a game? You think? Because uh, like just just for reference, the Mavs were like playing at a breakneck pace in that that year, and they played ninety three possessions per game. Like the slowest team this year plays ninety nine. So oh, even wow. if they played at a snail's pace this year, he would have six extra possessions worth of touches, and they would be playing much faster if you had a seven footer that can move like him. So. Just purely based on like chances, I feel like he would get not not only like more touches, but also more threes. Like I feel like thirty would be pretty maybe. pretty attainable. Oh yeah, I was about to say like if you factor in all that, I was like maybe he would get like thirty five. Like I'm, yeah, I mean, because as much as often as he and he was still an outstanding free throw shooter at that time too. But I mean like ninety percent um, easily probably be yeah somewhere in the low nineties. I, I, yeah, I, I, there's no reason why he wouldn't shoot like in the low forties and the three. I, I mean, he, oh my God, it would be so much fun to watch. I mean, I mean, we were treated to it 20 years ago, but I mean, just now it seems like it would be even better. Plus we want to have like these like footage that looks like it was filmed with like a toaster or something on YouTube to watch. We could actually watch. Like, <laughs> we have him in it. 4k, man. We've yeah. been robbed. Yeah. <laughs> We've been robbed that year in 2002. Uh, he shot, 39.7% on 4.6 threes per game, which back then 4.6 is like, oh my God, they shoot so many. Like he would shoot yeah. 10. Yeah, he was considered like a volume three shooter at that time. Yeah, yeah. He'd shoot 10 threes a game. And if you shoot 40% on 10 threes a game, that's just 12 points right there. Yeah. Let alone free throws. And oh my God, dude, the guy would just be amazing. He would yeah. be amazing. Um, all right, you got uh, this. This is fun. It's always fun going back in time. So uh, if if you don't know my coast, uh, Mavs archives I got new episodes all the time. Uh, got one coming up, I believe, with the former Mav James Singleton. But that uh, you know we'll see, we'll see when that one drops. But Mike's got a lot of stuff in there. Is there any uh, any any final thoughts? Any other anecdotes that we missed, or, or anything you want to say before we get out of here? Um, yeah, so a couple things, um, just that as I was doing some research prior to this series, both teams, it was like, you know, three stars, you know, obviously Dark Nash and Finley, and then uh, for Minnesota, KG, Billups, and Zerviak. But I was looking at the, uh, the Mavs bench performance, just in terms of scoring. Um, there really wasn't a whole lot out of, uh, outside of Nick Van Exel. Um, in game one, the Mavs had seven bench field goals. The next had six of them. In game two, the Mavs had again had seven bench field goals. The next had all of them. And in game three, there was four bench field goals, and he only had one of them. But for the entire series, that's 18 field goals off the bench, and Nick had 14 of them. So there wasn't a whole lot of scoring outside of uh, Dirk Nash Finley and and the next um, and then just a couple of former Mavs on the on the Timberwolves, Gary Trent and uh, former guest of my podcast. He was awesome. Um, I really loved him as a Mav. But uh, one cool thing about him is that uh, whenever you read or hear of Dirk calling someone uh, a burger and kind of like his, his trash talk, he got that from Gary Trent. 
And then um, Robert Pack, who played a handful of minutes in this series for Minnesota, he is a former Mav. Um, and when Dirk arrived in Dallas, he was wearing Dirk's preferred number of 14, but wouldn't give it up. So that's why Dirk switched to 41. Do you think like, I'm, I'm sure because he was so iconic, but like, I feel like the fact that Dirk ended up wearing 41 makes it more iconic because no one else wears 41, you know, like it's such an obscure number. Yeah. Whereas 14 is like much more common. So like it would, we'd still love it and everything, but like, it's just not, it's not as cool to me. It's, it's definitely not. I mean, the only guy in the Dirk era or like notable player that I can remember wearing a 41, uh, Glenn Rice, who was, you know, really good at that time, but you know, it wasn't, it just wasn't a common number. And um, I, I, I think it looks cooler. I think his, uh, Twitter handle of Swish 41 sounds cooler. So I don't know. It, it, it yeah. worked out for the best. Yeah, no, it did. So thank thank you, Robert Pack yes. and Gary Trent, too. It's two very significant contributions to the Dirk lore, his number and his go-to insult. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's good times. And also, I, uh... thank you, Nick Van Exelman. That's part of the reason they made the trade is to shore up the bench scoring because you know they had guys coming off the bench like Adrian Griffin and some other guys like that who are more defensive-minded. Uh, but yeah, scoring punch off the bench. And also, Nick Van Exel, again, significant tribute, contributor to uh, Dirk's personality. Uh, giving him the swag it's it's good times all around that was, that was such a fun series a fun year and you know it's a shame right now that the Mavs and the standings aren't looking as dominant as those Mavs were but this team is kind of in the same stage right like mm-hmm. the beginning times it's a lot of like first a lot of arrival a lot of like on the rise and uh it's just I don't know it's really fun so I'm happy that kind of a uh, the next generation or really like the next two generations of Mavs fans are getting to experience this sort of thing. And hopefully whether it's the end of this season or next season or whatever, hopefully there is an opponent that the Mavs will beat in the first round that they can just totally curb stomp and humiliate the way that Dallas did Minnesota. <laughs> that, that would be fun. It's been uh, closing in on a decade since we've won a playoff series. So it would be, it'd be uh, fun to see that happen again. Yeah. We got to turn around, got to turn around, but in order to get to the playoffs, the Mavs got to win some games, and that begins tonight against Minnesota. And uh, it's the middle of a long homestand, so we're going to have a lot of games in American Online Center, and we will uh, we will uh, follow it every step of the way on Mavs Daily. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast platform. He's Mike Fraley. You can follow him on Twitter at Forgotten Mavs, and you can listen to him on Mavs Archives. That is part of the Mavs Podcast Network. I'm Bobby Carell. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby Carella. And you can find me on Mavs Daily all the time. Mike, I promise not to wait like six months to bring you back on the show. we got to do more of these, man. There's a whole I, lot of history although, to uncover yeah, and discuss I, about I, this I've team. hopefully got some, some stuff in the works for some, some upcoming episodes. Um, sometimes real life gets in the way, but uh, I've, got, I've got some stuff coming, so I think, I think it'll be fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, thanks for joining me, man, and thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time on Mavs Daily. Mavs Daily.